OTB. Probably days we were questioning maybe whether this would ever happen first. So now, you know, as I said, it's special and it'll be all undone. Is the only thing if you don't get over the line next week. So um, everything now is riding on that one. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Get all the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport And Premier Sports People, watch out Dan McDonald's in the house of the Irish Independent Look at him there Yeah <laughs> Just came in, for some reason there was a Nokia brick on the oh, seat position in front of yeah, me Let's not go there Let's not go there, what do you mean? Why was it over on the seat in front of me? You just want people to talk about this you're literally inviting more communication for yourself. You were like, one. I, I am an island. I want to oh. remove myself from the world. You've you were one of several yeah. thousand who reached out to me today curious about <laughs> this uh, new departure. So I left it out for you to look at it. If you had not texted me today, then I wouldn't have left it. For yeah, you. I just think this is, it's just becoming a bit performative, this whole thing, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit like, I am, I am a slightly higher being. I'm going to remove myself. That's how you see it too. That's how I see it. <laughs> I, oh, no, I know. That's how you see it. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, but in, in some ways, you're sort of like, I can oh, see why you're a big golf man. You're like one of these people who decides to like reconstruct his swing and like tell everyone about it. No. Like there's a bit of there's First a bit part, of that yes. Second part, no. Yeah, there's a bit of that there. No one wants to hear about anyone's golf game. Oh, I know that. Yeah. yeah. I don't tell anyone about my golf game. Really? Uh, well, you're not described as a very methodical player, which is code for, mm, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm described as. Who describes, who talks about my golf game? Was it, was not Damien Delaney saying this at one stage? Yeah, so that's James. No, no, I probably James Delaney wants to talk about my golf game. He's yeah. seen me play golf, therefore yeah, he can talk just about like it. Slow, methodical, sort of. No, I'm not someone slow. who thinks about it. Yeah, I think about it. Yeah, I'm not brain dead like Damien. Yeah. <laughs> now listen, I welcome your, I welcome your new departure um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> from your life, I, and I look forward to it lasting for about six to eight days. You're not the first person to give it two weeks tops. Two weeks is ambitious. Yeah, I mean. Listen, yeah, the, there'll be times in your life where you suddenly realise that the, the smartphone is reasonably important. Like, I mean, you could, you know, you could buy a second phone or you could just, you know, leave it downstairs at night or like disable notifications or like Don't tackle, tackle, but you have to tackle the addiction, not sort of find some half hour solution that is just like not going to not going to work over the long term. Like you're not actually uh, not actually embracing the issue. You're just sort of thinking yeah, I just leave this. I'll do something completely over the top. That's almost drawing attention to it. It's like <laughs> it's not actually helping it at all. It is helping. It's going to help a huge amount, and it's a it's a, a pragmatic solution, enigmatic solution. Thank you. That's what I, that's what I would go for. <laughs> enigmatic would be my yeah. Uh, Let's solution. not Let's talk about my Nokia no. thirty three ten anymore. No, it won't be around in two weeks. So. Southampton 2 Manchester City nil. 52 minutes on the clock and Nottingham Forest 1-0 up against uh, Wolves they're doing okay Nottingham Forest of late they're going back into it so when I uh, thought of uh, per Mr Bazuno this evening against Manchester City I thought well this is going to be uncomfortable for the bottom of the table uh, side and they've played really well I mean I kept half an eye on most of it their second goal was a beauty really bad defending from Cancelo who jumped in in midfield to try and win the ball, didn't win it. And then Southampton player turned beautifully and lobbed the keeper from about 25 yards. So real quality in the two Southampton goals. The first one was a very good finish. City obviously having their fair share of possession. Haaland not playing, De Bruyne not playing. But lots of big names playing. More than enough names to, you would think, routinely take care of Southampton. But here we are at 2-0. Yeah, and they are a club that, like Man City, they, they sort of take the League Cup 
seriously as much as it can now the, the strength of their squad sort of allows them to do that as well too like sometimes you know, as you mentioned they are resting players but they still often end up in the latter stages because they can because they can afford to but it's it's more it's not I mean them losing is always uh, a surprise but I think it's more so Southampton and the fact that like Nathan Jones uh, I mean obviously like the the, uh, the managerial world is fickle um, but Nathan Jones, I mean, the Southampton fans haven't really been having him from the start. Mm. And I know that he was in charge like for the, the World Cup break. But in terms of matches, like like your single figure number of games, and there's already people talking about his departure, just didn't really seem to instill them with confidence about their, his ability to keep the club in the Premier League because he hasn't, he hasn't managed at that level before. And they've been really poor. And... I mean, does I mean we are talking early in the second half, so I mean they may not even see it out. But does this have any impact on them? Like it's almost like they need to be doing this in the league at any at any point. But um, well, in good news for them, they have nine defeats in twelve. Everton at the weekend, and Frank Lampard has uh, received the vote of confidence, dreaded from Farhad Mashiri today, doing a fine job. I have faith in the work being done, not only by our manager, but also our director of football and our board of directors. Mashiri wrote to the fans forum Mm. where none of those above people aforementioned are popular. Uh, There were chants at the last game of Sack the Board, for instance, but that's who uh, Southampton have next. Yeah, there was a period in the season where Lampard was sort of outside the top three or four managers to be replaced or the sack race or whatever market you want to call it. As we watched sort of Bazuno, you got to forget that Bazuno, like, um, I mean, well, not that you forget it, but I mean, this is a big game for him because it's Man City, like the club that sold him, but still retain a buyback clause for him, you know. So if Gavin Bazuno does well in his career, um, and you know, a couple of years down the line, Man City, before he goes anywhere, can decide, do we want to buy this guy back? And they have the power to do that. And, um, I mean, it's been a challenging year for him. He's conceded a lot of goals. Now, he's done this before. Like he's, he's At Rochdale, the season he was there, um, he conceded a lot of goals for a poor side um, that was in the relegation zone. And it was probably character building. Um, I'm sure he had different expectations for his first Premier League season. Um, and he's ended up probably getting a lot of experience and some very difficult, high-profile experiences. You know, a bit of grief, a bit of criticism on a level above what he's ever received in his life. You know, even at Rochdale, he would have got a lot of praise. This has been really, really tough for him, I would say. But in saying that, like, he hasn't been dropped. You know, like, he's kept his place and clearly everyone in football loves him and, and rates him um, and thinks um, he will come good in the, the long term. But it's been tricky for him. So even just just to get a, something like tonight could could be big for his confidence. I don't think he doubts, you know, I'm not sure if his confidence is ever fragile, but still, just to just get the show back on the road a little bit if Southampton have Everton Manchester City will be at Old Trafford it's quite a tasty weekend we have in prospect Manchester Derby Old Trafford half past one on the Saturday and then on the Sunday we have this game live and off the ball Spurs against Arsenal Pep Guardiola talking in advance of the Southampton game was obviously asked quite a bit about the Derby Mm. prompting headlines I'm having ridiculous ideas for the game at Old Trafford as Erling Haaland warms up so Pep is prone to some interesting thoughts tactically. He said, I have a few ideas, thoughts, ridiculous ones against United. Now, if he's calling them ridiculous, God what's help us your, all. What's your, what's your sort of uh, theory know, here? You've probably seen more Halland of Manchester United in the last while. Like, how do you, like, what, what do you do? Well, see, I suppose the thing is, right, I mean... He had are, a, a fairly funky first half against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Tactically. 
So he went on to say that, and this is maybe the more interesting part, is that this city squad are very tired. So he said of United, I have to see the way they play at home and if they have changed something. I still have to review it. That's why I don't have a clear lineup yet. I haven't seen their last couple of games. But he did say of the cup game against Chelsea, I made a lot of changes for one reason, how tired I saw some of our players after the game in London, after the trip. We arrived too late back, as in they were late getting home. And in the training the day after, I saw players tired. It also depends on those who didn't play against Chelsea. I would like to arrive against United with the average minutes, the average of the minutes in the legs of the players, quite similar. These are the things that are swirling around Pep Guardiola's heads, mm. uh, his head. But even if he doesn't follow through on what that ridiculous idea is for the game at Old Trafford, I, I think yeah, would share it's a, I, I, hadn't, I, hadn't, I wasn't aware of that quote, so I'm sort of trying to think what it is. It's like uh, what would he class as ridiculous? But this is it. I mean, like at times in in the past, you know, in, in big Champions League games, I mean, he's gone in with some ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure what the idea is here. I mean, I just, wasn't there a. I don't know, like, what do you, do you do something with Rodri? You know, do you play him in the centre half or something? Or I don't know, like, what 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 is he thinking of here? I don't even know? think he would class that as ridiculous. No, he probably wouldn't. I mean, and, and, and I mean, like, I mean, obviously, like, it's not as if the false nine is going to exist with uh, with Haaland there, mm. right? So, I don't know. I haven't seen, I haven't seen a huge amount of Manchester United's revival, if you know what I mean. So, their, their games, I've seen, like, just, just, bit of downtime post Qatar, and I've, I've seen a lot of Arsenal and I've seen a lot of do- other teams over Christmas I know their form has improved I haven't necessarily seen the games you probably have seen more yeah, have. but in terms of like what's what's underpinned it you know and what what do you when you play Manchester United now what are you worried about yeah is it sort of is it is it Rashford's revival to a point is it more of a collective sort of it's more of a improvement collective. I wouldn't yeah. go overboard on the Rashford thing He's mm. having a good spell and he's getting on the end chances and he's high in confidence and he's happy again as Wolves equalise against Nottingham Forest. Very good goal. I think it's been disallowed based on that body language. Um, I'll, get, I'll confirm that in just one second. The collective is much better. There's more energy about them for sure. There's a bit more tempo. Like it's not extraordinary either but there's a bit more tempo in the play. Casemiro has made a phenomenal difference. Even those who weren't that impressed with the signing and thought five years was a ludicrous amount of time to give Casemiro and even Graeme Sunus who called him a bit of a water carrier mm. when he first signed everybody has just had to concede that he's been exceptional he's uh, you know, he's doing things that like you wouldn't necessarily miss if he wasn't there like stepping in and making lots of interceptions take the Nottingham Forest game at Old Trafford he set up the third goal by just stepping into midfield and nipping in taking the ball and playing a nice pass through and that was the third goal so uh, stuff like that has made a big difference so him and Eriksen as your midfield too, is a hell of a lot better. They're, mm. they're able to control games a lot more. Casemiro is a really good footballer as well, so they're better at keeping possession. There was definitely a two, three, four, five, six-year period at Manchester United where the ball would go into midfield and would just hit roadblocks everywhere. So that's not happening anymore. Bruno Fernandes is much happier without Ronaldo. Yeah. And I, I even suspect Ronaldo lurking on the sidelines just, without, just to get rid of him. So Bruno's in better form. Rashford's recovered. And uh, Harry Maguire's not playing anymore, which, um, as sad as it is to say, helps. Even Luke Shaw did very well at centre-half. But there's just a bit more uh, fitness about them as well and a little bit of confidence. And they also haven't had to play many good teams as part of this. this Yeah, that's also a crucial point. I mean, it's a bit like, I mean, Arsenal have been terrific as well, but then you look at the run of fixtures they have coming up now and it's really going to, test it yeah. you know there's, there's some good games in the next couple of weeks like there's some really good heavyweight games the next couple of weeks and you sort of forget because of the World Cup break 
<clears throat> like there's we're a little bit behind where you would be in the season in terms of matches played. You know, yeah. being being bottom of the table and at Christmas and all of this. We're, we're you know we're still sort of we're catching up a little bit. Can we make bottom of the table on St Bridget's Day? I think? <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever the, the the sort of Qatar World Cup year version of that is. Yeah. So we'll probably in a month's time we'll have a better picture of sort of where everyone is at. Arsenal haven't even played City. Uh, News of the day as well is Roy Barrett is to step down as independent chairperson of the FAI. So FAI and four members of the General Assembly today. Barrett's decision is to step away from the role he's held since January 2020 until his uh, successor is appointed. Also, of course, managing director at Good Bodies uh, Stockbrokers. He said, my intention to step down from my position provides a clear opportunity for the board to ensure that at least 40% of the directors are female by the end of 2023, as required by the Constitution and the Memorandum of Understanding with Government. So we'll pick up on that point in a moment and why it's Barrett who uh, makes way. But on the job he has done since January of 2020, I was saying in the news round, I think the perception of Barrett would be uh, very safe pair of hands, uh, a man I suspect who has great respect for governance, uh, a supporter of Stephen Kenny, a steady pair of hands throughout his reign and departs having done a very, very solid job and and also has shown a degree of humility that isn't always the case with people aspiring to do great things in sports administration. Is that about right? Yeah, I think think it'd be hard to argue with that. Um, I suppose there's always been a degree of uh, I, I don't know what to, I'm not sure if controversy is the right word maybe it is like you know that's sort of that's followed him to a degree like you know in terms of in the early days his arrival because um, he was linked with sort of Niall Quinn and Gary Owens and he'd been a member of Niall Quinn's the, the visionary group previously and then there was stuff about his relationship with people in the the banking um, community you know with Bank of Ireland prior to a deal involving the FBI and Bank of Ireland. And there was a lot of sort of question marks, I suppose, about him um, just because he, he didn't come from, like he didn't come from, say, the football world, you know, the football administrative world. But there was, see, there's always been an element of that tension. I mean, there maybe tension is better than controversy in terms of describing the last couple of years. That sort of tension that does exist and definitely has existed, um, you know, between the the football elected directors and the independent directors, which was a big, not not to get into the weeds of this too much, but obviously for a long period of time, the FAI board was 12 people, all came from within football, from the various constituencies of football. And as part of the reforms, uh, post Delaney year I suppose the, there was a, a higher represent, there was a representation of independent directors who just come from the business world or wherever, wherever that, that is uh, coming into the game um, and that quota has increased to six now which has been a difficult one to stomach for some people within the uh, the football elected community you know come up from the various leagues or represent the schoolboy game or League of Ireland or um, president vice president sort of uh, those old school positions um, and I and dare I, say they've wondered if the non-football types know enough about football to make decisions. Well, yeah, or uh, there's a bit of that, you know. But like Roy Barrett, I mean, came in and was a key figure in a negotiation that, let's be honest, like played a part in, in saving the association. And I know that there was, again, questions raised about that. And he wasn't the only person to have a big role in stabilising the FAI. There would have been football elected directors had a big part in that as well. Sure, but it in, was in, it in was a very when, difficult it was time. A, it was a time when actually financial expertise was more relevant than football expertise. Yeah, and, and probably... I, I mean, 
at times like people in 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 Irish football were 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 sort of brainwashed into believing that like John Delaney was the only person who could get things done in terms of like corridors of power and and you know uh meeting people of influence and sort of getting deals done it, it turns out there's actually other people who could do that amazingly um and Roy Barrett was was capable of doing it um and yeah, the, the, like there's been. The, I mean, you consider. I think you probably would have covered this in the Sunday paper review. I mean, a couple of months back, there would have been that story where Roy Barrett was attacking leaks within the FAI board, um, which would have been specifically around Stephen Kenny's future. He has been a big backer of Stephen Kenny, and at times he's clearly been exasperated um, by elements of how the FAI works. Um, I can't. There was put a statement put in, out a couple of years. I, I can't put words in his mouth, but. What I would take from that letter where he basically said, can we stop having FAI business be um, pub talk and it's embarrassing mm. and what are, what are sponsors going to think and players looking on, listening to these kind of things being said about the manager. I got the distinct impression that he felt unprofessional people were behaving unprofessionally and he took a really dim view of it. And that was the extent of his letter. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, and I, I think that's it. Like, well, there's definitely questions would have been raised about um you know how Barrett come on to the FAI board initially. I think um you know from speaking to people over the period of his time there and I'm talking about sort of people within football, various roles within football, well you would hear that occasional comments of well, you know yeah, he's not from the typical football background. Um, I think there would have been a view that he would try and speak to a lot of people within the game and and find out what they're thinking and and generally, you know, be a quite a, an assured enough. Assured presence. is the word. Assured is um, the word. So did he win people over then? Um, I think he. I think I think he won a certain amount of people over. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, maybe others weren't that so winnable. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, again, like sometimes you're sort of talking in. Um, you know, you're sort of like alluding to stuff here. Like, I think, I mean, at one point, and there's been so much over the last couple of years, I mean, there would have been a statement put out again by the football elected directors at one point against, you know, the independent directors' transition. That tension, I think, has still been there at times. And um, I don't know, will some people look at, uh, at Roy Barrett's departure as an opportunity to um, step into a a more powerful role themselves on the board. Who knows? That would be the case. Well, I wouldn't consider this to be a good thing. I have to say, personally, um, his exit. I why just, not? just uh, I just I I wouldn't. Uh, I think if you were to look at the FAI board of sort of twelve people, and 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 if you were to say, um, okay, you know, who would be a bad loss from this board? I would have thought he'd be up towards the top of that list. So he referenced the Constitution and the new Memorandum of Understanding and the FAI board is far from the only board in sport dealing with this uh, situation at the moment. The need to ensure that at least 40% of directors are female by the end of 2023. So why is it that we think Barrett, in your opinion anyway, one of the stronger members of the board and one of the more high profile members of the board is uh, inarguable. Why is it that he is one of those who's stepping aside. Well, they have to do it. No, I know, and, but and, it doesn't have to be him. Well, I think he had said previously, and I'm conscious there was a, there was an FBI AGM in December where this would have been discussed. I would have been in Qatar at the time. So I know there was discussion around that. I'm not sure 
uh, to what extent like it was debated there I think it was it was a it was a big discussion point but he has previously said that if um if it's a if it's a challenge to meet this quota you know he will step down himself and he will say that's what I'm going to do like Gary Tuvig another independent director is also stepping away today so what stepping away so um, sorry to interrupt would we not prefer a situation where everybody on the board would take that position and then we decide more on merit who goes well you see this is where why, we're why did he step forward well I suppose he's the chair I suppose it's what you do like I mean and, and maybe maybe like I don't know like maybe maybe he's he, he, it's time for him to step away in his own head as well maybe he only I think there has been times where he's alluded to the fact that he might it wasn't going to be forever for him he wasn't yeah. someone coming in to be a lifer and maybe it's probably demanding he's got a busy sort of day job so maybe is a point that it's a chance for him to step away but what we have is a situation um like the 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 getting sort of a, a more of a gender balance on the board is a condition of the memorandum of understanding that he like, negotiated effectively and i suppose it's embarrassing for the fai if they cannot honor that and from a position of leadership someone decides well then i'll step away to make sure that we do but what we have now is a slightly unusual situation whereby, uh, okay, so the FBI is on course now to meet its target of five out of 12 members of the FBI board being female based on the presumption that the two places of independent directorships now will be filled by uh, by women, right? So that's going to be... so. But the process of independent directors, right, was about bringing expertise to the board um, and I'm not sure if the idea was that um, that pretty much all of the female representation on the board would come from the independent director's wing, if you know what I mean. And you're going to have a situation, football. you're going to have four out of six independent directors female and only one out of six from the football side of the game is presuming that Nevo Matany from Cork is going to be ratified later this month. So are you actually tackling the issue of... Um, sort of female representation within football uh, you know administration if okay you're sort of doing it at the top table by saying we're going to have to independent we're going to have to look for independent expertise here but actually we're actually narrowing the, the framework of what we're able to go and look for here mm. because on this side of the house we can't find adequate uh, female representation or people don't want to step aside on that side of the house, I don't know. Like, I think there is no doubt. I like. I think I'm not sure where I stand on. Um, you know, I think you have to encourage the idea of like the, the the gender balance on the board. But if you have a situation within football where um, if people aren't coming forward or aren't being elected at committee levels there to get to a position where they can be pushing for the FAI board, then are you actually addressing the problem at all? Mm. You know, and I think you're left in a, a really, for me, a slightly unusual position that really, so on this side of the house, you've got your, still a little bit of an old school look and okay, we're going to overcompensate on this side to make up for it. Mm. I'm not sure if you're selling that as a reforming, uh, a reformed association for me. It's more like we have to do this you have to tick this box to meet the quota mm. rather than actually this sort of being a, a, a sort of a productive step forward. Um, so that's why the whole thing, you're just looking at this going right. Um, maybe on the questions have to be popped towards the other side of the house and say, well, why have you only got um, 
one female board member from your side, from your constituency, who's only been ratified again, similarly by an election in recent months where it was sort of said, we have to, this has to be a female uh, board member. Mm. So like, I don't know. I, that, that to me wouldn't strike me as uh, massively progressive. And I know it's a, it's a bit of a dense topic in some ways, you know, FBI politics often is, um, but it, it just strikes me as uh, far from ideal. Yeah. It is still 2-0 to Southampton against Manchester City. 72 minutes on the clock. And let me double check if that Wolves goal stood. It did. Nottingham Forest won. Wolves won 84 minutes on the clock there. We'll take a short break. So it would seem that Qatar, uh, same owners of, of the PSG, Calafi, uh, chairperson of this Qatari investment fund, they own PSG. They are now set to throw $1 billion at Spurs to take a 25% share. We're going to hear about that next. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports Welcome back Uh, Not Strictly Football you'll appreciate but Dan and I laughing here because I did uh, an hour-long retirement interview with David Russell and at the end of it I said to him is there any chance I mean just you know you're still riding brilliantly and you might just come out and just do the, the, the bigger rides we might see you back 2024 maybe Cheltenham he said not a chance no chance he's just released a statement <laughs> he's back riding again so the retirement interview was timely for four days but he's just he's got them out of the way now he's got the now he can just focus <laughs> on the race and I mean I'm not doing I, it again with him yeah well, it was just like Jack Kennedy like was I mean th- has been so unlucky like the stable jockey to Gordon Elliott like he broke his leg yeah. on Sunday I mean he's like he's 23 and he's had so many injuries it's just horrific and sadly it's a, like racing is a business it's a sport but it's a business and I you know Gordon Elliott's coming up to Cheltenham which is a big time of the year he's got some high powered owners there and they're probably thinking um, you know a lot of people are probably having the discussion going well this whole operation like our year will revolve around this and we've lost oh, our top it, jockey and but I mean uh, sorry tune so, in next week for the <laughs> Davy Russell comeback interview I said, have you met this about you I mean like this is like this is the things about your interview with Davy Russell I've had just a, a, literally 20 people tweeting me going <laughs> see what your man did screwed you here see, look at you <laughs> It's good to know you're tackling your your addiction to, you know, social media and stuff. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's talk Spurs. Let's talk Spurs. So this is interesting. Uh, Dan Kilpatrick is with us, chief football correspondent with the Evening Standard. Dan, good evening. Evening, lads. How are you uh, doing? I don't know if you remember Dan McDonald. Apparently, you played football with him in Qatar. Uh, he said you were a good footballer. I'll forgive you if you don't remember Dan's produce on the field. I, I do remember Dan. He was a good player. Yeah, he he played for our. Um our kind of East Standard and English independent team, we 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 brought him in. Um, yeah, we we I think we did well. We lost the opening game, but then roared back in the second one. Yeah, it's clear he doesn't remember you, Dan. But anyway, we'll push on. <laughs> Two Dan's, like, you know, that's, that's about it. You yeah. Know. Otherwise, offered little six out of ten. Uh, so, uh, Qatar Sports Investments, uh, they are obviously taking over the world slowly but surely. Nasser Al Khalafi, president of PSG and chairman of Qatar Sports Investments. They own PSG. They have a stake in the Portuguese club Braga as well. And it seems they are determined to buy or invest in more clubs. And the reports are, Dan, that Daniel Levy met with Nasser Al-Khalafi in London last week. So let's put two and two together here and see what we get. Well, yeah, quite. I mean, I should say, first of all, that the club vehemently denies this meeting happened. Um 
they uh, are adamant uh, the last time Levy and, and Al-Khalifi met was last year in Doha at a um, at a, uh, a UEFA meeting. Um, but, I mean, from, from what I've heard, um, it did take place. Uh, they did meet in a London hotel and uh, an equity stake in Spurs was among the things they discussed. So we've got conflicting reports uh, on this meeting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a piece for The Standard today um, about what could be a marriage of convenience. I, I think certainly uh, Qatar are looking to invest uh, in more European clubs. They're looking to expand their sports portfolio. They're particularly interested in the Premier League and Spurs, uh, I think, would welcome a minority investor. I think that's fair to say. You know, Enik would like to remain in control, um, but they want more money to spend. And, and that means... Um, doing something similar to, to perhaps what West Ham have done with Daniel Kretinsky, the, the Czech billionaire, and, and selling, say, 20-25% of the club. So I think that could appeal to, to Daniel Levy. Yeah, I mean, Dan, like, obviously the Qatar World Cup, as we know, was sort of contentious in terms of the discussion around, you know, the Qatar's broader plan and their mission. I'm just sort of curious... Uh, what's the response been from the Spurs fan base and the sort in, in your world to this story? Because I know chance about Daniel Levy at the game last week. Clearly, there's a lot of dissatisfaction amongst the fans. So, how has this story been greeted? Well, I have to say there's been a predictable amount of what I would describe as as kind of fairly depressing discourse uh, from supporters who are are sort of desperate for this to happen uh, and have no have given or are giving no consideration to uh, the moral questions. Um, I think it's fair to say that Spurs fans are really frustrated at the moment. If it, it feels like uh, since the World Cup, their patience uh, is has really frayed, that there's a real feeling and a frenetic feeling of restlessness around the whole club at the moment. And I think that was reflected in the, the chance um, for Levy to go in the games against Villa and, and Palace, as you said. Um, it, it does feel like a lot of supporters are kind of reaching breaking point. They're, they're just increasingly uh, frustrated at being told to be patient. You know, they, they were told for years, wait for Spurs to finish the stadium and then they'll be in a position to compete. And, and now they're hearing Conte kind of every week saying, no, we've got to build. We can't match. Uh, the spending of our rivals in the transfer market. We've got to build another project over a number of years. And I, I think there's there's a real kind of uh, frustration growing. So I do think a lot of fans would, would welcome this. That said, um, I had a statement today from um, the club's official LGBTQ plus supporters organisation who, who warned against the partnership with the Qataris um, and said they had already sought assurances from the club, from the club that this wasn't going to happen and, and the club... Um, who were obviously denying this meeting happened and um, gave them um, those assurances. So I think opinion would be split and I'm kind of restricted to what's happening on Twitter and online, as you know. But um, I certainly say that there appears to be um, a, a pretty strong appetite for this to happen from, from, from a decent chunk of Spurs fans. Well, the Newcastle <laughs> example, I suspect, has been heeded by Spurs and they can ride out any controversy. Ultimately, I, I would think would be their position. The club is valued at about 2.3 billion and the numbers being talked about here are a billion for a 25% stake. So those numbers represent a very tempting deal for Spurs. The other aspect of the Newcastle purchase is that 
It's been very contentious. It has been talked about as a line in the sand for the Premier League. There is uh, continued talk of a football regulator. And uh, this will now be an interesting uh, test case of the resolve of the Premier League when it comes to who owns Premier League football clubs. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting point. Um, I suppose... um, it will be particularly tested if this is a minority investment. Mm. Um, I think, as you said, uh, Newcastle did feel like uh, a line in the sand. And I think particularly after what happened at Chelsea w- with Roman Abramovich, you know, a lot of people were saying at the time, well, if if the uh, Abramovich situation um, had happened and then the Saudis had, had tried to buy uh, Newcastle, people would, would feel a lot more uh, aware about the you know, pitfalls of, of questionable owners and, and perhaps the Premier League would have um, had more backbone and blocked that deal. Um, obviously, that that noise has, has kind of died down a bit now. Um, so it would be it would be very interesting to see how how the Premier League would react to a, a minority investment. But, yeah, it, it would I think it would be very hard to stop, given that you've got Abu Dhabi um, owning Manchester City and, and, and the Saudis outright owning Newcastle. So um, I, I would kind of struggle to see how um, the, the Qataris' aims to eventually uh, get a minority investment in the Premier League uh, won't eventually be be fulfilled, be it at Spurs or somewhere else. I dare say you're right. And this isn't anonymous consortium. This is Nasser Al-Khalafi, one of the most powerful men in football and mm-hmm. in European football at that. If he can be president of PSG, I think he can be minority uh, stakeholder at Spurs will be the uh, compelling argument. Uh, Spurs fans are not fans of Levy and that's been the case for some time what's the current latest with Antonio Conte I think Conte divides opinion Um, the match going fans um, largely support Conte by the sounds of it you know that they often chant his name Um, and I think quite cleverly uh, they have chanted his name in conjunction with calls for Levy's head, you know, they've juxtaposed chants of Antonio, Antonio with, with we want Levy out. So I think in most circumstances, when a chairman's under pressure, uh, the easiest call they can make is to make a change in the dugout. Um, but fans are, are kind of making it quite clear where their their loyalties lie. But I think certainly fans I speak to anecdotally and, and a number of fans kind of online um, are quite frustrated with Conte as well. I mean, he's... Um, very inflexible tactically, as 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 we know, as you, as you'll know, um, and Spurs have just not been a convincing side at all this season. Um, the win at Palace the other night was, I think, their second performance of the entire Premier League campaign that, that's been um, really quite convincing. And, and to be fair, that was only in the second half. We'd have to go back to the opening day against Southampton when they won four-one for a kind of similarly um, thorough display so well they seem to really um, enjoy a two goal deficit oh they love they love a two goal deficit they love kind of not showing up in the first half um, making it difficult for themselves and, and trying to roar back um you know, there, there was a lot of suggestion that was a kind of deliberate tactic not to go two nil down but to conserve energy in the first half before the world cup um but of course as soon as they came back on boxing day they were two nil down at brentford and, and they did nothing in the second half um, in the first half, sorry. So uh, I'm not sure it was uh, quite so deliberate. But yeah, I think to answer your question, I think it's fair to say he splits opinion and there are some fans who say, well, hold on, why are we so desperate to give this guy a new contract? Doesn't he have to earn a new contract? 
I mean, has he done that yet? It does feel then like Sunday's pretty big. I mean, let's be honest, right? It's always going to be a big game, but I'm guessing a sort of revitalised Arsenal sitting top of the table has made Spurs' struggles a little bit harder to swallow for people as well. And and suddenly you've got them coming to town, I suppose, on Sunday. It really feels like this could be a, I don't know, the momentum of the season could be defined by it potentially. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think Arsenal's form has made... Uh, Spurs' position feel much worse and, and has certainly made Spurs fans uh, more restless and more frustrated than they would otherwise be. Um, I think the big picture for Spurs, if you take a step back, is not so bad. They've got a Champions League last 16 against AC Milan coming up. Um, they're well in the mix for the top four. They've got a, a decent FA Cup tie um, in a competition that's looking quite open. Um, so really the bigger picture, aside from those poor performances that I mentioned, isn't so bad. But it's never easy when your rivals are playing great football uh, and they're running away at the top of the league. Um, and I agree, Sunday feels very big. You know, that often um, the home side wins that game. Um, but I think you look at the way Arsenal are playing and the way Spurs have struggled to start games, um, you know, it, they don't go in. Spurs do not go into that game as, as the favourites, and and I think if Arsenal players, we know they're capable of doing that. The mood in the stadium could turn you know, very very sour very quickly, and that frustration and restlessness I talked about could kind of come to the surface. Equally, um, Spurs have won a couple of games. They've got a bit of momentum of their own, and it win that game against Arsenal. And it could be that. Like the, the win at City last season, if you remember when they, they went to the Etihad and put that game was unplayable and it kind of transformed their entire season. They went on a great run and, and beat Arsenal to fourth. So, yeah, I agree that it feels like a, a pretty crucial juncture. Interesting times. Uh, Dan, thank you so much. Uh, I presume you didn't get the invite to the game where Roy Keane scored the injury time winner against Mika Richards in Qatar. <laughs> I didn't, no. But as, as Dan will uh, testify, we, we did play against Neda Manua, um, which... Uh, really wasn't that fun because he was sort of playing in first gear, but we couldn't get near him and certainly couldn't get round him. He just kind of marshaled uh, the back line. So, um, yeah, I was kind of pleased I didn't have to face Mickey Richards as well. <laughs> uh, appreciate it. Thanks, Mill. That is Dan Kilpatrick, Chief Football Correspondent with the Evening Standard. So, Dan, they're fairly confident that Daniel Levy did meet with Nasser Al-Khalafi. Nasser Al-Khalafi and Qatar generally get what they want. Spurs seem open to taking a billion quid. Seems very, very likely to all happen. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose it does, although... Um, Weird when Spurs play PSG. Yeah, but I mean, there's other clubs looking for ownership, right? And investment and, and sort of, like, Qatar... You, you feel this is more Daniel Levy courting Nasser than Nasser courting Daniel wonder. Levy? Like, I'd assume, right, we know that, I mean, it's pretty obvious that Qatar aren't going away. You know, they're going to explore every mm. opportunity that's out there. I mean, I saw, um, I think it was John Aldridge in the Sunday World, was it last week? Maybe the week before, maybe it was last week, talking about, well, maybe it's time to Liverpool, just going to have to get up with the times and get some sort of a golf investment. Money. Yeah, and um, what's going to happen there? You know, like, so you'd assume, like, Qatar, if, if they ring up someone looking for a meeting mm. uh, or their approach to look for a meeting, I mean, they've got so much money, they're going to listen to what someone has to say. Unlike the French Football Federation with Zidane, you would take the call. You would. T- I think if, you, if, it, if it transpires that you haven't taken the call, 
um, fans won't be happy the, the fans wouldn't be happy or, or other shareholders or whatever the structure of your club may be um, they would be pretty keen to, to take that call regardless of uh, the valid concerns that exist interesting Man City still 2-0 down we're into the 90th minutes and Hampton were 2-0 up at half time they're still 2-0 up so City on their way out yeah not what I expected the second half sort of you know, half watching it like yourself but it hasn't quite been a siege no. like, I, look, I just was looking at the stats there just to see sort of you know, more attempts and goals still from Southampton across the 90 minutes you sort of assumed it would be a over the top number based on the second half you know I'm not even sure like since half time what City have really produced like in terms of sort of De Bruyne big has, saves De Bruyne like, has almost found Haaland a few times there's been a couple quite. of yeah but it's, I mean Bazuna's like commanded his area well he's he's intercepted some through balls over as you mentioned some passes over the top he's gathered them he's swept up well rather than necessarily being diving left right and centre to sort of push away shots it looks like City have got to the edge of the box but not to not got any further really Okay uh, Short break we're chatting Joe Felix amongst other things next Football on Off The Ball With Sky Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports Yeah, welcome back Football Show brought to you by Sky Watch all the football you love in one place including the biggest Premier League games every weekend live on Sky We have Southampton still 2-0 up against Man City 94 minutes on the clock I did mention the Wolves goal stood against Nottingham Forest so that game has gone to penalties I uh, should mention as well in the Super Cup, Real Madrid Valencia has gone to penalties, one all. And there is league on action this evening. Uh, PSG in action. Uh, PSG against Anger. Is it Anger or Anger? I'm not sure. Yeah. Either way, Dan, the point should be made that uh, a young book called Lionel Messi on his return from Argentinian duty has scored the opener for PSG. Uh, Neymar got a yellow card. He popped up on my screen as well. Anger. Who yeah. got the second? Messi got the second. Oh, he didn't get the first. I read that all wrong. The disaster. Yeah, because I was looking. Buffal is with uh, Anger, who was so good for Morocco. So you yeah. missed my disaster there, which is fine. What was that? What was your Messi scored the second for PSG. They're two 0 up. That's all you need to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I was just I was looking up the Anger team at the time. So. I want to get your thoughts on how this Graham Potter thing is going to end. Just to mention the Joao Felix deal. So as I understand it, I was listening to a piece in the Athletic uh, by those very informed on Chelsea. Uh, the feeling they're getting from people at the club is that Diego Simeone may be uh, in a very real way nearing the end at Atletico. Uh, Joao Felix is not a Diego Simeone player. But Atletico think, well, when Diego Simeone goes, Joao Felix might be very much an Atletico player. Yeah. So what can we do here to keep everybody happy and keep Joao Felix at the club? So the uh, obvious solution was a loan deal. And they're so keen to keep him. There's talk that they may get him to sign a contract extension before they let him go on loan and fall in love with another club. So initially they put this out to market and they were looking for 21 million euro which was 15 million just to buy him for six months and you're going to pay his wages for six months, which is another six million. And the market at large said, are you kidding? No chance. Chelsea have since become very, very desperate. Now, they've negotiated the 15 million down to 11 million, but they are still paying 11 million to buy him for just six months. 11 million rental plus his wages. So we're still talking about 17 million euro just for this six month loan deal for Joao Felix. A player who might be an upgrade admittedly but a player who is very similar to the kind of player Chelsea have plenty of he's not going to be a system changing player by any means and he's low on confidence despite a good World Cup maybe he's not low on confidence 
But uh, the Graham, it does speak of desperation. The Graham Potter High Wire Act. Yeah, I mean, it's it's meant to be like a new Chelsea. Right? It's, meant, Chelsea. it's meant to be. Uh, and, and so in some ways, right, it's a bit like um, a bit like the Stephen Kenny thing in some ways. Right, and that you say, all right, we're going to go for something a little bit different here and we're going to trust this over a period of time. Is Roy and, Barrett Todd Bowley? I just need to. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, we're going to trust it over a period of time. But you start badly and like your results are bad and then it just puts you, as much as you, you talk about sort of, okay, this is part of the game. Um, you know, the, you know we, 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 we trust we're going to get there. Like the club environment, even is like a, a million times, obviously, as we know, like more unforgiving than say the international yeah. sphere. And you just at the start, it's like, where's your big win or two just to get you that little bit of credit in the bank? Which has always been Kenny's issue. He didn't have a big win early, almost to you know, you're in you're in this sort I'm of sure everyone, yeah. And I think like Potter now, it's just like every word's been analysed, not always fair. You know, maybe he has the assurance. It's, it's become very unfair. Like the amount of the piece has been written about how he's too nice. I've literally heard the phrase from uh, somebody who was trying a lot of sense and and and, and said this uh, phrase knowing it was a bit silly, but said he's almost too normal, he's too normal a person to be a high level football manager at a top club. He's nice about the opposition. There's no pettiness. There's no giving out about referees, and he's not a commanding presence. And as you said, every word has been analysed. He gave credit to Nottingham Forest in one game, which was seen as well, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Whereas if it's Mourinho, sort of sort of ranting and raving about something. He's a winner. At a particular time. I yeah. mean, like I suppose Mourinho in his more recent jobs in England say, um, okay, sometimes he actually started well at his clubs, which is maybe the thing. Sometimes he's an impact manager, but you almost feel like his reputation, well, there's no question mark over his ability to be able to cope with the scrutiny of managing a club at this and level. Is, Whereas with Potter, obviously there's an element yeah, of there's no reassurance can you there. cope with this? And, and there's, there's an argument that Chelsea and much of their success over the last number of years uh, gone right back to Mourinho is not built on flowing football uh, is not built on a, on, a, on a certain brand necessarily like the brand is like hard-nosed winners winning yeah no, and they're the complete they're like a soft-ish team now there's a soft underbelly they're, they're, they're just very nice almost yeah. very, very, a very pleasant game against Chelsea is not really what the last 20 years has been no, and then when it seems that when that the personality of the team appears to sit in with the personality of the manager, there we go. Then it, it it's the and, and sometimes that forms a a predictable analysis of what's wrong. Mm. You know, it's obviously it's obviously well. This is an easy thing to say. He's too nice. It could it may not be that he's too nice. It may well be that there's some tactical issue or there's like an injury somebody, crisis. There's something else. Yeah, there's, there's there's an issue there. So, but that has become the narrative this week. Yeah, it easily it's it it, it becomes a very easy go to and. Um, Again, like I suppose, the only thing is, like they've made a big play of appointing him. So if it goes badly, then then they're to blame. But he he still can be the fall guy too. But um, yeah, like he'd like to see with his reputation. If you hire someone like that, you have to be prepared to give them a little bit of time. Um, but what what is what is enough time? And as you mentioned, the Joe Felix thing. Then when that seems to tie in with a slightly erratic recruitment mm. strategy which in one points to a degree of panic in one wing of the house rather than some, you know, all these transitional decisions which would sit in with the, the project manager thing. Yeah. So, see your point. 